This episode is dedicated to the memory of Erica Weber. Her dedication, kindness, and commitment to patients and friends was instrumental to the creation of the Recovery Center. Welcome back to part two of our discussion today with uh, Eric Aram from York Hospital's Recovery Center. Uh, we This is a continuation from part one that we had last episode with Dr. Christine Monroe and Eric, uh, where we introduced uh, our listeners to the Recovery Center and, and what, uh, what it does here for our patients at York Hospital. I'm looking forward to part two, Kate. I am too. I am too. So we'll get right into it and Let's go, go from there. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Kate Ford. And I'm Eric Fogg. Welcome to C-Town. In each episode, we will discuss all things York Hospital, past, present, and future, as well as current medical topics to help us navigate that sometimes confusing world of healthcare. So we talked about wanting to um, do a little bit of shout out to our community um, partners or people we're collaborating with. out in the community and so do you want to talk a little bit about that your partnerships sure um within when we think about substance use uh misuse and substance use disorders in our communities uh there's a whole host of different uh groups uh champions and organizations that um particularly here in the york region are coming together uh, in a much more orchestrated and thoughtful way Um, And so I want to particularly mention the Choose to be Healthy Coalition. Um, Sally Manninen, who works here at York Hospital, and her colleagues that do a lot of organizing with uh, local law enforcement, um, food, housing assistance programs, child care, um, and uh, the schools, uh, local law enforcement. And and, uh, we've been able to really pull that together into what we call a the Opiate Roundtable, which is um, a, a group of all of those individuals um, that meet on a regular basis throughout the year. This has been going on for a, a number of years now. And when you put all of those different service providers and organizations together, what you really have is the full continuum of uh, what we call primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. Right, Early identification, um, uh, enrichment programs to uh, shift the chances that young people will begin using or misusing substances um, all the way through to what we do, tertiary prevention, which is really the delivery of treatment uh, once someone has acquired uh, a chronic condition like a substance use disorder. And and I don't think we always see that full stream of all of those services and how they come together for our communities and, and just wanted to make sure to try to paint that picture for yeah, Sally, Sally and her team do a great job. I know Gina Brodsky also on her team um, works with the high school with the um, Tidal Waves group and, and that. So it's important work that they're doing as well. So um, we want to talk about um, kind of the wording around, I know we've moved from substance abuse to substance use, um, and then kind of bring it right into... Um, defining MAT a little bit more and how that's even evolved. Can you start, start sure. with that? Um, we talked in, in the last episode a little bit about stigma. Um, I mentioned the, the work the hospital has done, particularly around destigmatizing substance use, uh, misuse, and substance use disorders. 
Um, and we've done a lot of that in the community as well. Um, when we think about a, a problem with substance use, uh, nobody uh, wakes up one morning and, and thinks to themselves, gosh, you know, I, I really would like to have a substance use problem, or, um, that kind of a chronic illness and, and require care and treatment for that. Um, it's something that uh, uh, is acquired subtly um, over time. Um, there are genetic factors, there are social factors, there are life circumstance risk factors that increase the um, prevalence or uh, potential for a person to have a substance use problem. Um, the language we use uh, really keeps uh, such a prevalent chronic illness in the shadows. Um, and those are things like, um, oh, she's an addict. Uh, or he's an addict, uh, versus this is someone with a chronic medical condition or, or a substance use disorder. Um, as treaters, we've uh, contributed to that with some of our language, uh, characterizing um, a person's abstinence from substances as clean. Uh, are you clean today? How much clean time do you have? Versus are you dirty? Uh, no one wants to be called dirty under any circumstances. And uh, when you're really at the lowest of your low, trying to get help and try to uh, move yourself forward, um, that stigmatizing language really makes it difficult and, in fact, prevents a lot of people from seeking help. It prevents a lot of families who may not know what to do for a loved one struggling to talk about it with somebody else because what might they think of me? Right, if my child is struggling with substance use. Uh, and you get the cascading impact of that kind of stigma. Like when you're good and when you're bad, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and and the, the language um, has evolved uh, as we've all tried to do a better job with destigmatizing this condition uh, to allow for more people to uh, hold their head up, make eye contact, and ask for help and, and get it. Um, and so one example is uh, you've talked about MAT. Um, one of the ways that was characterized for many years was called medication-assisted treatment. Um, and increasingly, we recognize that that language in and of itself is stigmatizing. Um, you know, uh, are you someone that is in recovery um, with the assistance of medication, or did you do it the old-fashioned way, right? Um, and no pain, no gain sort of thing. Uh, and the reality is, is uh, we now refer to that as medications for addiction treatment. The outcomes are so much better uh, for folks with chronic alcoholism and opiate use disorder when medications are included for their addiction treatment. Um, in fact, for folks struggling with an opiate use disorder, uh, when medications are not involved in their treatment, the relapse rates are over 90% um, as compared to uh, 40% um, with the addition of, of medications. Um, and that's just something we had to look at. So Eric, when you talk about medications, for our listeners, what medications are we talking about here that are available to help folks get the outcomes that you describe and make it uh, a safer and, and, and better process for them? Sure. Um, the FDA has uh, uh, provided uh, 
bona fide medical indications for a small group of medications. Uh, all of those medications fall in the formulary of medications for addiction treatment. Um, and some of them are for opioids, such as heroin, fentanyl, morphine. Some of them are for alcohol. Um, and some of them are for nicotine. Right. And so these are the three substances of abuse that have FDA approved medications for their treatment. For opiates, uh, we would look at um, methadone, which is uh, the oldest and longest studied medication for addiction treatment uh, for opiate use disorder. Um, we would look at uh, buprenorphine, which many people, uh, of many of your listeners might recognize under the name Suboxone. Yep. Um, uh, which is really a different medication. Uh, it acts slightly differently in the brain and body than methadone um, and has very similar um, uh, purposes to stop uh, preoccupation, craving, and withdrawal so that a person um, can move forward and attain the skills that are being taught in treatment and essentially maintain their own recovery. Um, and then for alcohol, there are another of... A uh, range of other medications. Um, um, there's an injectable medication called Vivitrol, uh, which is um, naloxone that's long acting. Uh, and that actually prevents the um, uh, euphoria associated with drinking. A person would, would drink alcohol on that medication and they would not have an effect. That also works the same way for opiates. So, Vivitrol is a medication that's been approved for the treatment of both. Uh, alcoholism and the prevention of opioid relapse. Um, and there are a few other medications out there, um, but by and large, those represent the most widely prescribed for the conditions we see here in our state. And now do all patients who enroll in this program or participate, do they require the use of medications as part of their treatment? Um, no, and, and thanks for asking that. Um, we certainly have seen a, a, a uptick in the volume of patients that we're treating since we made the changes to the cottage program and became the recovery center. Um, roughly 70% of our clients that we're treating at any given time have the primary substance problem of alcohol uh, use disorder. Um, many of them uh, do not elect uh, to seek medications as a part of that treatment, though some do. Uh, ultimately, this is very uh, client or patient driven. We present our clients with a menu of options, including the array of medications, um, and they make choices about whether or not they want to include those in their care. That's great. So if we were going to, um, and I don't know if we'll end with this or not, if you have more, but um, you, you touched on the risk factors, and I think... For those people listening who um, might have family members or loved ones that are um, that they're concerned about, what sort of risk factors um, might might they be looking for? Um, well, with, with all our kids, to start there, um, certainly um, a, a genetic uh, predisposition is an important thing to know about. Are there is there a family history of substance use disorders? Mm -hmm. Uh, of any kind? Um, is there active use going on? Is there an active substance use disorder or misuse going on in the environment uh, as another risk factor? Um, 
individuals may go through life circumstances uh, such as the loss of a spouse, loved one, uh, a death, or some other life transition crisis. Uh, those are times of risk uh, at any age. Um, and so those are the kinds of things that, that predispose someone, um, what we call adverse childhood events. So uh, what we find is the increasing prevalence of substance misuse and use disorders when individuals have had significant amounts of trauma in their history. Okay. And Narcon, do you have, um, are you working with the YPD on, is that how, what it's called? Um, you know. you're, you're referring to uh, uh, Narcan, which Narcan. Uh, is increasingly available here in our state and in this region. Its intent is to be used to reverse an opiate overdose. Okay. Uh, and there's a, a, a very big push on the part of the state of Maine to um, have a more systematic and orchestrated way of making that vastly more available to our public. I think that's a great wrap-up and, and yeah. great kind of closing comment. Uh, Eric, we can't thank you enough for coming in and talking about the, the program itself. One last plug. Um, so if you or a loved one feels like they could benefit from your service, you can go ahead and call directly. Uh, you can go through your PCP. Uh, plenty of opportunities to get right. into the center, the ER. through the ER, yeah. that sort right. of thing. We'll put all the uh, phone numbers, contact information in our show notes and, and have that information available um, when we broadcast this. But uh, what a fantastic conversation and certainly more to come, I'm sure. Thanks very much for having me. I really right. appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks, Eric. Great. Thank you. So, Eric, what was your favorite part of that, of the interview with Eric and Dr. Monroe? So I've known about this program since its inception and, and have been part of uh, some of the ongoing discussions, have seen patients that I've cared for go be referred, but there's always something to learn. And uh, a couple of the highlights to me um, were related to that window of opportunity when there's a patient that reaches out for help and that plugging them in quickly mm -hmm. increases the likelihood of success in getting through the program. I think that's a great, that's great reminder. Also listening to Dr. Monroe and Eric talk a little bit, I feel like, again, uh, we keep tooting the horn of York Hospital. Even a small community hospital like York Hospital has such a robust recovery mm -hmm. program to offer our patients. I think that really is outstanding. Right. Uh, what about you? What stuck out in your yeah, mind? Yeah, I would say going to the supermarket or just being around town and knowing that people around you might be fighting the good fight. Yeah. And um, also um, that they don't, not everybody coming into the recovery center is using the medication assisted program so, or treatment. Um, so, you know, they are working with people who have all different types of addictions and yeah, not think, everyone is using. I think the there's some medication. belief out there that this can't happen in York, Maine, right? That doesn't happen in our town, type That's of right. thing, and and it absolutely does. And and to have that resource here again is, is outstanding. You know, that reminded me. We had a podcast with Dr. Wilbur yep. a while back, and she was drawn to York Hospital because of the work. Um, she wanted to do with Sanford and Biddeford um, because of low income. And people and it it dawned on me just what you just said that even an affluent town like York has low income people and um, we have resources here right in the town 
um, to serve that population as well. So I, that kind of just popped up for me. Yeah, it was yeah. really a great conversation and doing really great work. Um, it seems like it is you watch the news or read the newspaper and you appreciate that this is an ongoing problem that even reaches the uh, the ear of our um of our state representatives. Um, certainly uh, it's something that is on the forefront of even political discussions nowadays as a problem that this country needs to continue to address and work hard to fix. Um, so we are doing our part here in, in York, That's Maine. Right. Right here at York Hospital. Great. Uh, well, thank you for listening to another episode of C-Town. Uh, we have some exciting programs coming up. Uh, we have Dr. Amanda, Amanda Dimitri-Lewis, our breast radiologist, to talk about our breast care program. We're going to bring her in. Um, also, we're going to bring in Katie Dodge right. and talk older about our older yep. adult program. And patient experiences. That's right. Yep. So uh, be on the lookout for uh, those upcoming podcasts. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to this episode of C-Town. We hope you found it of interest and would love to hear from you about topics you'd like to learn more about. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find episodes by clicking C-Town button on the homepage of yorkhospital.com. By listening to this podcast, you're agreeing not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own provider for any medical issues that you may be having. C-Town is a production of Darcy Creative in collaboration with York Hospital. Copyright 2020.